today's gospel. A rich man, uh, and Jesus said to his disciples, this is the Lord's, the Lord's presentation. A rich man had a steward who was reported to him for squandering his property. He summoned him and said, what's this I hear about you? Prepare a full account of your stewardship because you can no longer be my steward. Apparently you're doing an injustice to me. Parable of Jesus teaching. The steward said to himself, what should I do? Now that my master is taking the possession of steward away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg and I know that I, what I, I know what I'll do. So that when I'm removed from my stewardship, or the stewardship, they may welcome me into their homes. He called in his master's debtors, one by one, into the, one, one by one. To the first he said, how much do you owe my master? Well, a hundred measures of olive oil. He said to him, uh, sit down and write a promissory note and write it for, you owe a hundred, write it for fifty. To another, the steward said, how much do you owe? He replied, a hundred cores of wheat. Steward said, here's your note, write one for 80. The master commended that dishonest steward, the Lord's words are dishonest, steward for acting prudently, prudently. So we almost, in the same sentence, we have dishonest and prudent. The dishonest steward is prudent. For the children of this world are more prudent in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. I tell you, make friends for yourselves with dishonest wealth, so that when it fails, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. The person who is trustworthy in very small matters is also trustworthy in great ones. And the person who is dishonest in very small matters will be also dishonest uh, lost the place and dishonest in small matters dishonest uh, if in, in dishonest in small be dishonest in great if therefore you are not trustworthy with dishonest wealth who will trust you with true wealth if you are not trustworthy with what belongs to another who will give you what is yours no servant can serve two masters he will either hate one and love the other or devote be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. So the children of this world are more prudent in their dishonesty in dealing with their own than the children of light. And who or what or who is the light except Lux Mundi? Christ is the light of the world. And I couldn't help, I mean, the point is that what, I mean, the obvious point it's a puzzling, certainly a puzzling parable because it's understand, we understand it, but at the same time the application of it is um, mercy. Trustworthy means be merciful in going beyond a natural justice. And it always seems that, that Christ is he's always breaking the rules. He always seems to be going beyond the Torah, going beyond the, the old law, uh, it's always on, it's on the Sabbath that the man with the withered hand is asked to extend the hand, and the Jews are waiting to see if he's going to do anything. He can't, you can't 
do that. As a matter of fact, you know, Father George Farrell was telling me how he worked in Brooklyn in a bank. I think he was a bank teller, and he told me about some of the old Jewish women that would come in, and they, they couldn't touch the money. They would, have, they would have a stick, and they would push the money. They couldn't touch it. They'd have to push the money in with a stick under the, under the cage, in the cage. And because they didn't come, they, they couldn't break the law, or you can't go upstairs on this, on, on, you know, on the Sabbath. So the, you, you can't even, you can't even push the button in the elevator. The, the elevators, the, 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 they go to the floors automatically in the Jewish apartment buildings. Everything is, has to be rigidly according to the law. And they would be waiting for Christ to do something. I mean, your ox falls into the pit on the Sabbath and you can't lift it out. And of course, he berates them with this, the common sense. But he breaks the law and he is, they kill him because he breaks the law. So he always seems to be breaking the law. And this is the Son of God who has come to teach us how to live, who works on the Sabbath. He heals on the Sabbath. And in the Gospels, in the Gospel of St. Matthew, for unless your justice exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. So your justice. And so we have our justice. We have our natural law. We have our laws. We have our rights. And right is founded on which we have taken from a Greek philosophy on nature. And so the, we, are, we have to break nature. We have to go beyond nature in order, to, in order to follow Christ. But of course, an absolute statement like that is contradictory because, uh, because God has become man. And so this binomial is always at, at play here, the divine and the human. And the reality always is that our Lord is God and man. And so the command of, I believe it's Matthew 4, Matthew, uh, Matthew 5, 40, where he tells us, you have heard it, you have heard that it was said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and shalt hate thy enemy. But I say to you, I say to you, love your enemy, love the enemy, do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who persecute and calumniate you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven who makes his Son to rise on the good and the evil and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those that love you, what reward shall you have? Don't even the publicans do that, the non-Jew. And if you salute your brethren only, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the Gentiles do that. You, therefore, are to be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. And what does perfection consist in? What does perfection consist in? Is it doing everything just right? Is it the fulfillment of the law? Is it living the law to its detail? Or is perfection something more? Is it going somehow a going out of yourself? I recall the example of our father, I think, Joey Soria, uh, Jose Luis Soria, the first spiritual director of Opus Dei, uh, was preaching um, and in the commission, and our father was present. 
and he was preaching the he took the uh, Saint Martin of Tours and uh, apparently Saint Martin of Tours came, came across um, a man without a cloak and freezing and so he took his cloak and he cut it in half and he gave half to the poor man and he took the other half for himself and our father's reaction to Father Jose Luis was uh, Baja, come down from preaching, come down, wrong. He says, what a stupidity to cut the cloak in half. You give him the whole cloth. <laughs> so there is a, the topic that, that kind of looms is the vocation to the work is, it's not virtue. You know, one of our sisters came to me and says, you know, I hear virtue, 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 virtue. And she was an older numerary and says, I'm sick of her hearing about virtue. And I said, you're right. The measure that we're called to is not virtue. If we take virtue to be, if you do the, the scholastic uh, metaphysic of virtue, it's an accident of a substance whereby the substance fulfills itself, <clears throat> becomes more fully itself as substance, but it's an accident of a substance. And, uh, and it's, a, it's a development, it's a perfection of a thing in itself. That's what virtue is on a natural level. And we hear that, well, it's all virtues. And yet, you have heard that it was said, thou shalt love thy neighbor, thou shalt... You have heard it was said, love your enemy. So we have, to, there's, an ex, there's, an, there's an exceeding that goes on here that we're living in a state of um, overflow. And why? Well, because the overflow itself has become flesh and lived amongst us. And the measure is measureless. It's the measure is himself. The measure is death on the cross in which it's all given away. The whole cloak is given away. You don't cut it in half. You don't measure it out. You don't live, quote, justice on that level, because we're working with another level. But that level, has that been abrogated? Has the natural level been abrogated? Or has the, the son of the father, who is nothing but overflow of sonship and obedience to the father, taken on flesh and lived amongst us, and his divine eye, the divine self, has taken on a human nature, taken from the virgin, which is a limited created human nature as his own. And <clears throat> as St. Thomas says in, Th in his Summa Theologica 3, the dynamism, the dynamic act of that human nature is the essay, the divine, the act of existence of the person. So that the human nature, the soul and the human intellect created and the human will created is dynamized is, exists and that receives all its power from the divine person. So it's not destroyed, it's elevated, it's lifted up, it's, it's divinized, it's shot through with, it exists with, it's ex it exists by the divine person. But that divine person is a triplicity or, better, or the, 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 the being of, if we can use the word being, of God is Father, Son, and Spirit. It's not revealed to us as Aristotle. It's not 
a transcendent intellect that is contemplating itself. It is a triplicity of persons called Trinity, which the theologians called communio. So the father couldn't, father couldn't exist without son because he is a very action of engendering son. He's not into himself. He's not unto himself. He's not limited to himself. He is an action always pouring out of himself. And so that the Trinity of God is this it's always overflowing stuff. And we're made in the image and likeness of that. And therefore, uh, to talk about virtue and say, well, we're in the business of the virtues. But indeed, we're in the business of the virtues because when the Lord took on a human nature, he didn't destroy it. He, he, he lived it. He lived it. And he lived it to the point where he, he brought it to destruction in the service of another. And that's the measure. That's the measure. And our minds, of course, we, we're in and out. We, we, we click in, click out. We see, we don't see. And so we, we get it, we don't get it. And we live in time and space, and, and uh, now we get it, now we don't get it. Uh, and so it's inch by inch, and we fail, and we have to get up, and, the, and we get up because the Lord has mercy. And so this um, notice, uh, each one has to come in and give an account of his, he has to give an account of, uh, of what he owes. And at, at least, the, the, I'm sorry, the, the steward, the steward, this, I'm sorry, I, the, but the steward tells each one, look, um, you owe 100, give 80. You owe, you, you owe 200, give 50. You owe that, give more. And you say, well, this is crazy. This is a very, very unjust steward. And so notice that, that the Lord is taking the, uh, the, the justice that we understand according to the nature uh, and rights of nature. And he, he, he just blows it apart without destroying it. He doesn't say it's false, but notice, but this, this is a divine teaching. This is God himself telling us, uh, let me explain to you what it means to be, what it means to relate to other people and the, the kind of attitude that you're going to have to have because you're going to find yourself annoyed with people. You're, they're unjust to you. They're, they're, you have all kinds of relational difficulties with people uh, and the the, the, the command is, have mercy, have mercy, forgive, find an excuse, tell him to give half. And this is, as our father in the first letter, Bidhan Zeus, he says the soul, this is his first letter, I believe, 1931, I think it is, uh, the soul is divinized, that there's an ipse Christus, so it's not enough um, or unless the state of grace means that you are another Christ. But is everybody in the state of grace another Christ? I think not. It means at this point that I don't have serious sin, that I am not turned away from the Lord. Uh, but what we're called to is, you know, you know we're called, the vocation is not to, the, the, the call of everybody is not called to the minimum. We are called to be Christ. This is the teaching. And the, our father says the soul is divinized. There's a divinization. There's an ipse Christus in that each one is to become. We are to become the way God is. And God is Father, Son, Spirit. God is out of self. Each person is out of self. Are you and I out of self? It's life, our father says, is a complete contrast with what it was before. 
and with what it is so often encountered, what it so often encounters around it. Our faith tells us that a soul in the state of grace is truly a divinized soul. But of course, we see people who are, and we know in ourselves, we can be, we can, I mean, I sit in a confessional and listen to this. And are we called to, to be in the state of grace? Indeed. But in the translations of that many times in the, in the manuals of theology is a participation in the divine nature. But participation, when uh, it seems that we are called to the divine, the, the, the divinity is an action. And I am called to live an action. And it's an action in which I am called to turn away, convert from myself. Faith, at least the way the Ratzinger presents it, is it's always a conversion away, well, away from self, conversion. Faith is conversion. And as a matter of fact, when he describes baptism, it's the conver- it is a death event. So we keep, have to keep going through a death event. I have to keep going against myself. I have to keep turning away from myself. That's not denying my human nature. It is affirming the, the, the divine person that I must turn into. And so our fathers, our faith tells us that a soul in the state of grace is the divinized soul. God has granted to us his precious and very great promise so that through them, promises, so that they may become partakers, partakers of the divine nature. All right, that is an objectified way of talking about it, but we are called to be ipsi Christus. I live, no, not I, Christ lives in me. There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free man, there's neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3.16, 2.20, I live, no, not I, Christ lives in me. 3.16, neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free man, neither male nor female, you are all one. Heis in the Greek, heis, one. And that one is the person of Christ. Christ, who is the second person of of the Trinity. He's the son of the Father, who has taken on a human nature, and and it's his. No, nay, it is him. No, it is he. (laughs) Notice in St. Luke 24, when the Lord rises from the dead, they can't believe that he's there. And he says, feel me and see, touch me, touch me, and see that a ghost, a spirit, doesn't have flesh and bones, as you see, I have. So it's not, my body has. He didn't say body. He said I. I, Luke, uh, no, John 5.38, when I, I, have, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, and he's talking about his own will. He means human will. He means the will that was that was that he has assumed from the virgin. That, that, because the virgin, this is a mystery. Who who knows what we're talking about here? But the virgin says yes, and the word becomes flesh, and her her, her, her she gives the total humanity. What does she have to give? Everything, everything. And as the von Balthasar said, he says, if she left any, if there was anything left out, we wouldn't be fully human. So God became man that she had to give it all, total. And then finally, at the foot of the cross, she's about two feet away from Jesus, now bleeding from the back, furrows, those whiplashes that have dug deep into the skin of the back and the front, and, and, and with, 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 with who knows what's in those, those lashes, 
tearing the flesh and the blood coming down and she's standing there looking at that and this is her humanity. This, it comes from her. I mean, that's what we have to learn from the virgin. I mean, the woman can teach us how to live this. As men, I don't think we quite get it. But the mother, the woman, has this pathos. I tell you, I listen to mostly women and they, they, under, they get it. They have this sensitivity, uh, this pathos, this, this, this feeling. You say, well, it's not feeling. Oh, but it is, but it is. You can just, you can hear it. And, and this is the God who becomes flesh and human with us. And, and he says, now live life, live it. And live it with your brothers and the others. And you're going to have to love your enemy. And where's your enemy? Right here in the house. I mean, we have, you know, there are some in this house, I'm, I would put my bottom dollar, who, are, who I am an enemy to. Why? Well, because I'm a New Yorker, because I'm a big mouth, because I'm this way, I'm brash, uh, I'm poco, I'm, I'm little hygienic. Uh, <laughs> my mother always berated me for it. And, and, and so there's going to be likes and dislikes and annoyances and small hatreds and, and likes and attachments and, and all of it. And it's here that it's the whole thing is played out. And, uh, and our father says this theological concept of man is almost as far, as far above the purely natural and human concept as God himself is above humanity. The theological concept of man, says our father, is almost as far above the purely natural as God himself is above humanity. We are human beings of flesh and blood, not angels. But through the influence of the soul in grace, this divinization overflows into the body. Of course, because the very essay, St. Thomas, Thomas had a, a, a gifted vision. No, remember that he had this vision of Christ on the cross, and the Lord spoke to him and said, Thomas, you, 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 you've written well. You've written well. What can I give you? And Thomas, quick as he is, says, yourself. He didn't say more, more understanding so I can be smarter. No, you. I want you. So when a wealthy woman says to a man, I love you, what, what can I give you? And he says, you. So we have to exceed. We have to exceed the law. We have to go beyond nature.